The View from the Lane is sponsored by Bet365, and they feature over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you need to bet on sport. Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. With the Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals, and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live, with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. from the lane, our Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. My name is Jack Pitbrook, I'm joined again today by James Moore and Charlie Eccleshare as we take a look ahead to the 2020-2021 season that starts this weekend. Even though Spurs only finished sixth last season, it did end up being one of the most eventful Tottenham seasons in recent history. Um, Charlie, can we expect anything as dramatic this year? Mm, they do well, I think, to... To match last season for drama, I mean, when you think of the the Pochettino sacking, Mourinho coming in, Eric Dyer in the stands, uh, there, there was so that much conversation about toothpaste. Yes, that conversation about toothpaste. Whether there'll be the same debate about chocolate bars, you know, we we don't know at this point. But I don't know. I mean, I I did a preview piece uh, on the season uh, that came out on Monday, and it, it it does feel a bit like they're at a point where. You know, it's about finding closure from that uh, Pochettino period. And last season felt so tumultuous in the fact that you had like the Champions League hangover, the Pochettino sacking, the breakup of that team with guys like Ericsson and Vertonghen leaving. Uh, so I think it does feel a bit calmer and a bit more serene. Like that felt like the breakup that, you know, had to happen and now might be a period where they kind of get over all of that and, and can move forward. Um so I'd be surprised if it if it felt as tumultuous as our season, but it being Spurs, who knows? I mean, they, stuff does just happen at this club. I mean, what I'd say is there is enough going on in the first whatever it is, sort of three weeks of the season for for there to be but you know potential for any kind of madness to happen. Given they're playing, what is it? I think like nine matches in sort of three weeks. Is it something like that? It's it's absolutely yeah. crazy. Yeah, they got the, the Premier League game against Everton, Lokomotiv Plovdiv away on the Thursday night. Southampton away in the league, then the League Cup in the second round of the Europa League uh, or the second qualifier for the Europa League if they get through the first in the next midweek on Tuesday and Thursday. Then you kind of back into the rhythm of you know league games on the weekend and then possibly another League Cup game and another Europa League game in the following midweek. I mean, it's it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, uh, you know, we, we talk... Uh, and funnily enough, in the documentary, and, and apologies if this is a spoiler, if uh, you've avoided our documentary podcast and just listened to this one, but Harry Kane talks about how many games they play over Christmas and how bad it is for the players' bodies. And yet, Spurs are going to start the season with, with this ludicrous run of matches. And you do think, you know, we're going to see a lot of different players playing. We'll see a lot of different combinations of players playing. I mean, I think, if nothing else, Mourinho is going to have a pretty good idea of the capabilities of his squad by the end of that run, which will obviously coincide with the transfer window as well. Yeah, that's really true, actually. So, someone in, a, I think it was a comment under an article, was 
you know, talking about what formation was Mourinho going to play? Would he play three at the back and that sort of thing? And I just responded, I think he's going to have to be really tactically flexible because they are playing so many different games, not just personnel, but there are going to be games where you are having to to tweak the formation, tweak the system to try and to try and accommodate players and, and almost get a team out. I mean, like you say, those two consecutive weeks, in theory, there'll almost certainly be one and there could be two where they play League Cup Tuesday, Europa League Thursday, Premier League on the weekend. That, uh, that is pushing squads to a level we've, we've genuinely never really seen, unless you know when you go back to the days where you'd play games like you know, in consecutive days and that sort of thing. Um, and, and I do think as well, like the fact that they've they have been unlucky, keep getting away draws. So they've drawn a, a team in Bulgaria first up in the Europa League, and if they win that, they're going to Romania or Macedonia. And then even in the League Cup, you know, Leighton Orient away obviously would be great geographically, but then it could be Plymouth, and that's. Uh, you know, it's like a five-hour drive away. Or, I mean, I guess they'd fly, but um, you know that—that's—it's pretty. It's compounding an already difficult situation with some pretty rough draws. Do we think that the right approach would be to just play teenagers in the League Cup and focus on the Europa League games instead? Yeah, I think I think Liverpool probably set the standard for that last season, and that, and it won't just be Spurs doing that. I mean, obviously Spurs have got the worst run of ma- uh, matches in terms of like fixture congestion. But I wouldn't be at all surprised if other clubs looked at the League Cup and said, well, we're just going to have to bin this off for now. We can't afford to worry about this this early in the season. For, you know, to potentially be playing midweek games every week you know, without Europe at that stage of the season, I think some clubs would, would maybe just kind of rather avoid. It, it's interesting. It, it, it will be kind of anathema to Mourinho to do that, to, to bin off a competition. And it will instinctively, you know, for the fan base, feel really frustrating. But I think from what you're saying, James, most of them... Will get it right that you know, despite it being theoretically their best chance of silverware, something just has to give, given how crazy the season's going to be. I think you have to be sort of realistic and pragmatic about that, don't you? And you which know, fans always, uh, almost always are, oh, yeah, of course, always. Um, but you know, if if they win, if they win that Leighton Orient or Plymouth game, and then end up going for in in the uh, League Cup and in the Europa League, and then they just have the same situation again the following week. And obviously, it coming the week later will just make it even worse, you know, in terms of like the physical strain and, and the state of the players at that point. So, I, you know, having said that you kind of want them to make 11 changes, it's just once you get one or two injuries, suddenly it becomes very difficult to do that. And then you can just envision a situation where Harry Kane basically ends up playing in all of these matches, basically, which I think would be the one thing they should desperately yeah, try to Yeah, I completely avoid. agree. It's a shame, isn't it? Because so when I interviewed Eric Dyer last week, he said that one thing he really liked under Mourinho in terms of his own kind of optimism for this coming season was that he wants to, Mourinho wants to win every game in every competition. He's uh, He doesn't want to, he doesn't want to kind of ignore anything or let anything go. And yet, unfortunately, I think in reality, Spurs were probably going to have to do exactly that. Just because the 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 schedule is such a disgrace. Like even last year, the schedule was a disgrace. It always has been a disgrace. Like the demands that are put on players, and now this year it's got worse. I know, you know, we all know why that is because of coronavirus and everything. And but it's clear that there is no compromise in terms of what is asked of the players. Is there? The competitions have to come first, and the, and the physical safety of the players comes second. And that is unfortunately just the way that football is. Um, in terms of the players that Spurs have this year. Um, Charlie, what do you make of the general business that Spurs have done in the transfer window and the extent to which the squad is in a better shape than it was last year? I think um, the the, uh, window so far has been good. It's been 
maybe not spectacular. I don't think you know Hoiberg and Doherty are necessarily players. You know, they're not kind of fantasy signings, but they're they're smart. They, you know, put in the piece. It is a kind of um, round pegs and round holes, and that's maybe not the sexiest of mantras, but it you know it, it does make sense. And that you know right back and DM are positions they've been lacking in, struggling in for a little while. Hopefully the backup striker comes in as well. Obviously Joe Hart makes sense as a second or third choice keeper. So I think they are in a stronger position, but it does, that, that is what it comes down to ultimately, doesn't it? You know, it, the extent to which they can get over uh, the Pochettino era, you know, to kind of continue that relationship analogy will just come down to whether the replacements are good enough. Um, because, you know, it's all well and good evolving as a team and trying to move forward. But if the players just aren't as good, then it's hard to do that. I mean, I think Hoiberg and Doherty will definitely be a big improvement on on where they were last season. Um and then, like I said before, it just so much of that comes down to to how they're coached, and you know the extent to which players who are at that level kick on um, comes down to who's coaching them. And I, I use the example again, but you know, Vinaldum, Andy Robertson at Liverpool, you know, they, they were not fancy signings either. But if you you know really commit to molding these guys, and you have a clear system, a clear philosophy, and proper coaching, then they can kick on. And so, if that all happens, there's no reason why Hoiberg and Doherty won't be viewed as as really good signings uh, in a couple of years' time. I would say, I mean, this could be an outrageous hot take. I, I would say, other than Chelsea, who obviously spent two hundred million quid, which Spurs are realistically never going to be able to do. I don't think any other Premier League team has improved their starting eleven as much as Spurs have with their summer business. I thought you were going to say they've won the window. I'm not, no, I'm not saying they've won the window. I don't <laughs> want to fall into that. I don't want to fall into that trap. But um, I, I just can't think that another another club will have improved their starting eleven as much as Spurs would have done by by addressing those two problem areas quickly and with players we know can do it in the Premier League. There won't be issues in terms of like settling in or whatever else. They should be kind of. It should be kind of ready to go from day one, and I just, I just don't think, I just don't think there's anyone else in the Premier League who, who can look at what they've done in this window up to this point, and say, yeah, yeah, we've absolutely nailed that. I mean, and, and even Chelsea, we don't know that that Werner or Havertz um, are, are going to be at it straight away. I, mean, I, I, you know, I'd have doubts over whether Thiago Silva is going to be uh, well equipped for the Premier League at the age of thirty-six or whatever he is, thirty-five. So, you know. We'll see. I, I, Chelsea would be the only one that I could conceive. Maybe you could say that about, but otherwise, I don't mm. think there's anyone else. Which is very Mourinho, right? That you, you know, you get these guys. You you have problems, and you look to address them in the short term, rather than necessarily thinking, you know, who's going to be, uh, who's a really promising young right back who, in a couple of seasons' time, will be able to slot in. You go out and you buy a 28 year old who, over the last couple of seasons, has been very, very good, very consistent, and likewise yeah. Oibiak. I think it makes total sense in the context of Spurs' strategy at the moment, which is, you know, the appointment of Mourinho was obviously an investment in now, like it's not an investment in five years' time. And, you know, unfortunately it's been really undermined by the injuries they had last year and, of course, coronavirus and the fact that the team was so damaged by the end of the Pochettino era. But signing PK, signing two first-team PK players this summer is totally consistent with that of investing in now and like you say i don't think there's any other there's no other teams around spurs who have added to peak age premier league proven players like city have got aki and ferran torres Uh, liverpool have got the greek left back whose name i forget united signed van der beek but spurs have done the most kind of immediate surgery on the first team um so in that sense i think 
I think we, we can expect to see an improvement. Harry sponsors The View from the Lane, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. And now they've released their sharpest ever blades and added a new lubricating strip for an even closer, more comfortable shave. The best part? They haven't raised prices, so replacement blades are still as little as £1.75 each. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. As a listener, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover, by going to harrys.com forward slash lane right now. That's harrys.com forward slash lane. Um, on an individual basis, guys, which individual players do you think we will be surprised by or impressed by or will have great seasons this year? I mean, the obvious one that I've got written down here, and this shows how original I am, is Harry Kane. I think Kane's going to have a great season. Uh, just because I think he was, the sort of last few games of the last season, I think he was looking really good again. He was looking sharp. Uh, I think, you know, totally over the hamstring injury, a bit more mobile than he was last year. Uh, admittedly, he wasn't great against Iceland on Saturday, but that was his first game in, his first competitive game in six weeks. And, you know, it's been written in the past that Kane sometimes takes a while to get back up to speed. But I do think we will... As long as he doesn't get any injuries, that's of course the big question hanging over him. I think Spurs can hope for a really, a really strong season from Kane, who uh, should really be at his at his peak around now. And obviously, we've we've talked plenty on this podcast about whether or not his peak has been gone yet. But I'd be really optimistic for Kane over the course of this season. I'd, I'd put Steven Bergvine in there as well. I think he um, he showed lots of promise in what was half a season and a, obviously an interrupted half a season, but. Uh, yeah, he looks like just the kind of young, exciting player that you want to have coming through. So I think I I, I hope he he can kick on and 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 also he was slightly a victim at the end of last season. Uh, Spurs beat Arsenal. Um, you know, having been on a you know it seemed a bit ropey form and and the formula just worked. So Mourinho stuck with that same team. Obviously now. It's all things are equal again, and there are going to be so many games that he's going to get plenty of opportunities. So I'll be, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he can develop. And he scored for Holland actually um, on Friday night. So uh, yeah, hopefully he can hit the ground running. Uh, for me, I'd say similarly, uh, Ryan Sessegnon, given given purely the number of games that we'll be we'll be seeing over the first couple of months, we know he's going to play quite a bit, assuming he doesn't get an injury. Uh, Scored a goal and got an assist in sort of a late cameo for the under twenty England under twenty ones over the weekend. So you'd fancy he's kind of starting the starting the season on a in, a in a positive frame of mind. So you know the fact that he's got a little bit of flexibility in, as well in that he can play left back or in a sort of left wing role a bit further forward should also kind of increase his chances of being involved. So having kind of suffered a bit last season, I think the timing of the managerial change for him was pretty bad, wasn't it? I mean. For a young player like that coming into the team, you kind of expect to maybe not necessarily start loads of games at the start, but then when the manager changes in the November, you kind of know you're going back to square one again and it does make it a bit difficult, I think. But I, I just have a feeling that he could be uh, he could be the one that makes the biggest step, step up this season. Yeah, the reverse curse. What about, um, at centre-back, one thing I've been thinking about is 
Who do you think the pairing will be over the course of the season? Do you think it'll be Dyer and Alderweireld? Will Dyer supplant Alderweireld as the first choice centre back? Where will Sanchez fit in with all of this? Will he will he be relegated into a lesser role this year? I still don't really know. I don't think Mourinho really knows what his best pair is at centre back. So I'm really interested to see how that one plays out. Yeah, I've been thinking about that, and for a piece I'm working on on you know looking at Spurs' best team and. I think Dyer and Sanchez makes the most sense as a kind of complement to one another. I think Dyer and Alderweireld is lacking in pace and could be exposed in that way. Dyer and Sanchez feels like a bit of a better balance uh, and I feel like has longevity. That feels like it could be the partnership for a number of years, which is obviously what Pochettino thought before he went and they were the pairing for his last few games. Uh, so that would be my expectation, but clearly things do change very quickly and... Um, you know, even at centre back, there'll have to be an element of rotation in those first couple of months, just because there are so many games. But I'm expecting Darren Sanchez to to be the first choice pairing. Yeah, I wonder whether you might not really see a, a kind of clear first choice in those first couple of months, and you might kind of be picking two on the basis of what what you're up against. And you know, as you say, without Sanchez in there, you do you do lack a bit of pace. You know, I, I suppose the other option is Sanganga as well, who, who we haven't really talked about. And again, he has the flexibility of being able to play in a few different positions and that you would expect would mean he would play quite a lot in those first couple of months. So, I mean, there's definitely scope for him sort of cementing a place in the team, I would have thought. It's clear, both in terms of selection last season and from what we've seen in the documentary, that Mourinho really, really likes Tanganga and rates him. So, I mean, I I wouldn't rule out the possibility of him sort of cementing a place either. There's also coming just for the thinking of the uh, like League Cup games possibly Malachi Fagan Walcott coming through um, f- from the academy and he came on as a late sub in the second leg against Leipzig. Um, you know, highly regarded centre back. We'll be looking at what Tanganga's done and hope he can uh, kind of emulate that. Although it, it's harder for young centre backs, you know, and even Tanganga, you know, he he is a centre back but has barely actually played. I don't think he's played there in a two um, since he's come into the side. One or two is in in a three, but has mainly played as a fullback, and that is partly this idea that you um, you know you want to introduce defenders uh, in an area of the pitch where perhaps their mistakes won't be quite so costly. Uh, but I think he, I, I think that's a good point, James. I think this season, hopefully, he will get a bit more of a chance at centre back because um, that is where he he will end up, and uh, he's very very strong there. But he can play anywhere really across the defence. The view from the lane is brought to you in association with Manscaped, the expert in men's below the belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And Manscaped has just launched in the UK. We have gone years without using the right tools for the job, so you can be one of the first men in the country to experience Manscaped's life-changing products. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents, and the water-resistant technology also allows you to groom while in the shower. And we've got a special offer right now for all of you listening to this podcast. Get 20% off and free shipping by using the code EPL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com by using the code EPL20. Happy shaving. What do we think about the overall prospects for Mourinho? Because this is obviously Mourinho's first full season. I think... I think it's always been a little bit harsh to judge Mourinho on the results he got last year, although I think overall the results were pretty good in the end. Um, whereas now he's got a whole season at it, and I think he 
you know, he's had two windows. I think he has to be held responsible for whatever does happen this season. Um, what sort of a Mourinho do you think we'll see? Do you think the football will change? Do you think it'll be successful? Do you think the balance, like the the kind of political balance between Mourinho and Levy will hold? Like this is, to me, this is the big, this is the biggest single question. And I'd be interested to hear, Charlie, what you think about it. Yeah, I think that that is a massive one. And it's quite, it's quite a pivotal point in Mourinho's career, isn't it? Because obviously his last two jobs, you know, Chelsea, lots of success, ended badly. I think, Broadly, the net of that is that it was a success. United, I mean, how how do we view that? It was that you won a couple of trophies, finished second, but it collapsed pretty spectacularly. So, you know, I think he was damaged quite a lot reputationally from that. So you do feel it's at a point where is he still absolutely elite? Um, you know, and I know those who are Mourinho fans would be like, it's ridiculous, you know, even in his last job, he won things. But clearly, United, I think, did change perceptions a little bit of him. So he's, he does have um, a lot at stake almost here. You know, if, if if this doesn't go well, then you're thinking, what's his next job? Obviously, if it does, then it's like, right, Mourinho's back to being absolute elite. He could kind of get whatever job he wants. How it will play out? I mean, it, it is really hard because there are those intangibles like injuries. I mean, he, I'm sure, would say if Kane and Son uh, hadn't got the injuries they did, that they would have or certainly could have got a uh, top four last season. And obviously had that happened, you'd be saying, wow, from 12 points behind or whatever it was when he joined, what an amazing turnaround. Um, I think they've got a shot. I mean, I, I was surprised um, after the Community Shield, they were talking, it was actually in the context of Arsenal, but Peter Crouch was talking about, um, and I'm not singling him out because I think it's quite a commonly held view, you know, whether Arsenal could get top four. And it, and he and others kind of dismissed it as like, a, well, no, I mean, clearly top four will be City, Liverpool, Chelsea United because City, Liverpool are amazing and Chelsea United uh, have bought some really big name players. So as if the top four was a closed shop. And I just really don't see it that way. I think Spurs could easily finish in the top four. I think... You know, like James said, there's of course, of course, as Chelsea have signed class players, but there are so many unknowns there, and 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 things just change so quickly. I mean, who was saying that Leicester were going to be, you know, second place at Christmas? And I know they didn't finish in the top four, but they really should have done. So it's certainly not beyond the realms of possibility that Spurs can put a good run together and and get that top four. And I mean, I guess then it, you know you then lead on to another question: What does success look like? I mean, is it, if if Spurs don't win a trophy next season but do finish fourth, is that a success? How big how big a success is that? I mean, J- James, what would you, as a supporter, what would you take from this season? I suppose as a, as a minimum. Well, I think now that they've kind of taken one step back and uh, have fallen out of a Champions League again, I, I think most would kind of accept like a top four finish and no trophy as success in relative terms. Um, but I. I I do wonder whether we are sort of getting to the point now where this team really needs to win a trophy purely just for its own sort of sense of belief, really. I mean, I think, you know, it's it's one thing to not be winning stuff when you're on an upward curve, and that's like an undisputable upward curve, which Spurs were on from, you know, 2014 through to 2018 more broadly. I suppose you could say they got to the Champions League final, so you could extend it to then. But now it kind of feels like things have plateaued a bit and you do think, you know, if I don't win a trophy this season, is Harry Kane going to be, you know, is Harry Kane going to be watching that scene in a documentary where Christian Eriksen says, I'm 27 now, I'm feeling like, you know, I'm running out of time and whatever. 
and then thinking, oh, actually, yeah, maybe I do need to leave and start doing different things and, and winning stuff. Um, it's interesting, actually, James, you say that because Kane um, says something quite similar, or not similar to that, but he says, like, God, it is amazing how time flies. And yeah, all of yeah. a sudden, you know, you can be the wrong side of 30 and your career's gone. I, th- I thought that was terrifying, know, quite yeah. an interesting thing terrifying. to him to say. <laughs> yeah, terrifying. What, what would you prefer? Would you rather get the trophy or would you rather get the top four? I mean, the, the sort of the cop-out answer is win the Europa League and then you get the trophy yeah, and both. the Champions League. Um, okay, that's not so, an option. So that... Would you rather win the League Cup or FA Cup or, or uh, finish fourth? Uh, I'd rather win the FA Cup. I think I don't care about the League Cup. I've seen Spurs win the League Cup, so I don't. I don't care about that. I'd, but I think I'd rather like finish fifth and win the FA Cup because that would still feel like progress. And you know they've they've kind of ended the trophy drought and they've improved by a league position. Um, I mean, I don't know if you're talking about winning the FA Cup and finishing eighth. I don't know whether that um, mm. would appeal in quite. That's not like a veiled dig at Arsenal, by the way. I've, I, obviously, I had thought of it before I said it. Um, <laughs> I don't know that would necessarily be progress, but look, look, I mean, Spurs haven't won the FA Cup for, it will be 30 years by the end of the season. So yeah. it, it definitely has to be consideration. It has to be something they take seriously. And to be fair, and without wanting to lean too heavily on the documentary again, it, that does come across in the documentary that it is something that Mourinho takes very seriously. In terms of whether or not Spurs can get top four, the reason I think it's difficult to call is that I kind of, I think I know how good Spurs are going to be this year and I think they're going to be quite good. Like I think they'll be I think they'll get more points than they did last year. I think they'll probably get, I don't know, 65, sort of high 60s, low 70s in terms of points. I think they'll be competitive and organised and they won't be great to watch, but they'll grind out a lot of results. And if Kane stays fit, I think they'll score enough goals. So I think I have quite a good read on how good Spurs will be. Whereas I basically don't really have any idea about, I think Arsenal, United and Chelsea are so like high variance compared to Spurs. In the sense that Arsenal have got a great manager and one great player and the rest of the squad is pretty rubbish. United and Chelsea have got lots of individual quality and then arguably two of the worst managers in the league. Like, it's just hard to know. Wow, that's a big, uh, big call. It's true though, right? Like, they're, they're not very, I mean... Un- all, all three of them are unproven managers. I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't really necessarily I say, say yeah, like, un- Arteta has obviously won the FA Cup, but I wouldn't necessarily say he's, you know... He's like head and shoulders above Lampard or or Solskjaer. To be fair, to Solskjaer, he has won the Tipper League and twice, so hats off for that. But uh, I do like Jack's Jack's uh, dislike for Solskjaer. It occasionally surfaces in this podcast. It's, it's not that I dislike uh, him. He seems like a perfectly nice guy. I just don't really see why he's manager of Manchester United. Um, and so because uh, he gets it, yeah, man. he does. I mean, he does get it. Capital G, capital I. But he's like, I just. And obviously Chelsea now got all these amazing players and like on paper their squad is fantastic and they you know they could click and be amazing and get 80 plus points they could you know put up a, they could do a real title run on the other hand they might just concede too many goals and still be a bit of a shambles so it's just really really hard to know and while I feel like Spurs Spurs are probably the most predictable of that pack of four um, and I don't really know how the other teams will fall around them but it might be that if for whatever reason, Arsenal, United and Chelsea aren't don't have as strong a seasons as they could do, then Spurs could end up still being there around fourth by the end of the year. What, what I would say, this is and this is this is an absolute fact, as as Danny Rose would say, in that it's actually not a fact, it's just my opinion. Um what, <laughs> or a, at least one of those six teams will have a bad season. Because if you look at, you know, the era of the big six, if we're stretching that back to five years. In in each and every one of those seasons, at least one of those teams has been shit. That they've just they've just, just yeah. all taken turns, and Spurs had their turn last season and still finished sixth. 
But they've all taken a turn to be rubbish. And Manchester United had a couple of seasons, you know, under Moyes uh, and the last season under Mourinho where they finished outside the top six. You know, Arsenal obviously have had the last couple of years when they've been nowhere, nowhere near the top four. Chelsea's two seasons have been absolutely dramatic and they've been really, really dreadful a couple of times. Um, I mean, City have at least managed to stay in the top four, but I think in 2015-16 in particular, uh, Pellegrini's last season, they were largely pretty dreadful. And obviously Liverpool have been really good in the last couple of years, but before that were mostly quite rubbish. So it's, it's kind of a bit of a rotation. And I think you've seen those teams all kind of have bad seasons and drop out. And it just won't be that all six of them will play well. There's just no chance that'll happen. Completely. I, I think Liverpool, and like this is a really hot take, but I, I do wonder if they're going to have a little bit of a potch or clop at Dortmund burnout season. I, 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 it's really like to, a top of my head thought, and I'm sure I'll be made to look like a complete idiot. But I do just wonder if the the intensity and emotion of the last couple of years, how sustainable that is. And you and you've seen it happen at so many teams that I mean, obviously Pochettino, his Tottenham team, Klopp's Dortmund, playing in that way and not freshening up the squad. Yes, and maybe they still will. I, I, I don't know. I do think like so many of those players perform at a level way above what you would expect them to be doing. And I don't know, like the, the league was such the holy grail and they've done that. Yeah. And I think unless you've got a team of just Roy Keynes, it's very hard not to suffer a letdown after oh, that. Because, because they'd already won the European Cup in the season before. They've not like got the obvious uh, and the uh, Club World Cup as well. They've not like got the obvious kind of next step to go through in the next season. And like you say, the league has mm. been the thing that they've chased for 30 years. It's, it's been everything to them. Understandably so, given the history of them winning it. But to, but to now to, to now win it in what you know, and this isn't me. This isn't me going on about asterisks or whatever else. You know, I, I, they they deserve to win a title. They're by far the best team over the course of the eleven, twelve months of the season. Um, but ultimately, you do look at it, and it does feel like a bit of a damp squib. Not just because there weren't fans there, but because they, you know, they looked like they were going to be the greatest champions of all time, and in the end, they didn't even match the point total of a City team from the previous season or for two seasons before. So it. It does kind of feel like, uh, like, like you say, Charlie. They need like a bit of a, they need something new just to kind of spark, spark a bit more life into them again, maybe. And look, I, and I don't think any of us are saying that they're going to finish fifth, sixth, seventh. But I, I wouldn't be entirely surprised if Liverpool finished closer to fourth than they did to first, if you see what I mean in terms of points. And, and that will, you know, if it's quite tight, that might not be a big statement. Maybe they'll benefit from the fact that it was behind closed doors, and now they've got the target of, well, we need to win it in front of our own fans. Um, That's true, I suppose. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I do, I, I just think that, that sheen of invincibility, it's, it's hard to maintain that, unless you're an exceptional, an absolute exceptional, you know, dynasty almost. And uh, I don't know, we'll, we'll see if they are that. And that brings me to like another big question that I've been thinking about recently in terms of this new season is what effect will the return of fans, which I think will be gradual at first, will, what effect will that have on the teams? Because one question that I have with this Spurs team is whether or not the crowd at White Hart Lane will accept the style of play that Mourinho likes to play. Because the reality of, I think, I think it kind of worked in Spurs' favour actually after lockdown in the sense that Spurs were. I felt like the Spurs team were insulated from the anxieties of the fans and also from the kind of the frustrated expectations of the fans in terms of style. Like they won what four four wins and one draw at home during after Project Restart, 
But I did think, you know, particularly like the Leicester game where they played a a counter-attacking game very, very well. I did think, like, would would fans embrace that if they were in the ground, like Spurs giving up possession against a sort of understrength Leicester City team? And because the, the reality of Mourinho Spurs is that they don't just give up the ball against City and Liverpool. They give up the ball basically against everyone. And James, like, do you think that, a, you know, a, a half full or even a full crowd at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium next year would be happy to see that style of football? Or would you start to get a few groans at the kind of digging deep, long balls, counter-attack style of play? I mean, look, uh, you know, they're, they're football fans and, and the thing they want above all else is to see their team win. And I know some people, you know, there'll be a bit of posturing and some people will say, you know, we have to do things the Tottenham way or whatever. But I think if a team is consistently winning matches, then you kind of have to accept that more pragmatic approach. Um, and I think to, just to look at those matches that you just mentioned post-lockdown, um, I mean, I think that that Leicester match would have been fine because they're playing against a decent team uh, and you know it's a big game because they were what I think at the time maybe two places uh, two places maybe three ahead so you know it was kind of it was a kind of a competitive one you know same for Manchester United um, the, the ones that I, th- I could see that maybe would, and Arsenal as well of course the same the ones where I think it maybe would have been a problem uh, would have been Everton and West Ham where I, I mean in both of those games I got frustrated watching on TV I think I mentioned this on the podcast at the time um, and it really felt like, particularly in that West Ham game, like they really could have taken the game to them in the last 20 minutes and really sort of killed them off and beat them 3 or 4-0. Um, and it didn't really seem to have the appetite of a desire to do that. And I do wonder that might be the kind of situation where, you know, it, it could get a bit hairy in the ground. But, I mean, again, if that comes off the back of a really good run of form where you've kept a lot of clean sheets and beaten a lot of teams and won, you know, and are in a decent league position. I think that's quite a different thing to it happening as it did at the time when it was off the back of a quite bad run of form, really. I thought, I mean, Michael Cox's piece was really interesting on that about how playing out from the back, um, you know, is easier without fans there. And I can totally empathise that. I mean, that is, you know, fans do not like their team playing out of the back because it, it's really anxiety inducing. It's like a high wire act. Um, and I, I imagine, you know, if you're a player, just not having that element is helpful but but i think as well it's so hard to make these forecasts because obviously we are talking about unknowns and like when i remember when the when we were kind of trying to make similar projections after lockdown ended and we looked at we identified sheffield united away as being exactly the kind of game that with fans is really tough because it's intimidating but without fans you know maybe they lose some of that edge and obviously Spurs went there and were completely outplayed in what was their worst performance of the whole period so it's it's just difficult um you know to make these projections because we have so little slash no data to be going on right now we're offering listeners the opportunity to try out the athletic for free you can enjoy all of our writing on Spurs including Charlie's recent piece on how sensible recruitment can help Spurs move on from the Mauricio Pochettino era. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod to sign up for a 30-day free trial. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Bearing in mind how difficult it is to make predictions, I feel like we can't really finish this season preview podcast without some predictions. Um, So I'm going to go... I don't know, sometimes I feel like I get a little bit too optimistic, but... Uh, I'm going to go for fourth. I think Spurs can get fourth. I just think there's too much. I think there's too much variance around their rivals, and I think, like you guys say, there's too 
the the chance is sufficiently high that one of those other teams will fall away. I think Spurs will be pretty consistent and I just think that they will have the sort of know-how to scrape it. And I also think, kind of connected to that, I think the Mourinho-Levy balance will hold. I do. I think at, at one point, Mourinho-Levy will collapse and I do think we'll get the same kind of... I think this will end in tears, like the last few Mourinho tenures at other clubs, but I don't think it will end in tears this year. I think that'll be next year. Uh, so for this year, I think we'll see a pretty, a pretty strong Spurs team uh, grinding it out and I think they'll just scrape fourth. Interesting. I think they will, um, similar to Mourinho's first season at United, I think they'll reach a point where they're still in the Europa and they're kind of hovering around fifth, sixth and push for the Europa, win it, but end up uh, sort of sacrificing that top four push and ending up in one of those fifth or sixth positions. Well, that, that'd be great. You know, winning the Europa League would... There's no, There's no question that winning the Europa League would make this a really, really good season for Spurs. All, almost independent, I think, of where they finish. But yeah, it would be a huge success if they were to if they were to do that. And I think, yeah, so that we'd all be where in Gdansk on the 26th of May, 2021. Um, that would be really cool. James, what do you reckon? That would be cool, but I actually have a feeling, uh, and I could be proven wrong very, very quickly on this, but I have a feeling Spurs may go out of the Europa League quite early. I just have a feeling that run of games where there's so so much going on in the first couple of months of the season, so many games, and, and you know, and I'm sure the injury situation won't be quite mm. as weak as it was at the start of this year, but they will get injuries again. Um, <laughs> and I just have a feeling they may go out, they may go out of the Europa League before Christmas, and that may then help them finish in the top four Ooh, in, wow. in the Premier League. Um, so I, yeah, sort of darkness before the light, or whatever the. Okay, well, that's all we've got time for on our special season preview predictions podcast. Um, we will be back with a regular podcast next Monday, looking back at the Spurs opening game against Everton. Uh, Charlie, you're going to that, I assume. Excited? Yeah, I am. It's a slight shame that they played Everton um, really recently. I don't know why that matters, but it just, you know, it's quite nice seeing Team Jump Team for a little while. Um, yeah, I am. I mean, uh, saying to James earlier, it's, it just feels very disorientating that we're in September and the season's about to start and that, you know, there were games pretty recently. You know, there hasn't been that, like, long gap um, that you often get, especially in non-major tournament years. But, uh, yeah, I'm excited and just really curious. Um, curious to see how it plays out. So we'll be back with another podcast next week, looking back at that first game. Obviously, we're looking forward to bringing podcasts to you all the way through this season. Uh, and you can read all of our coverage on Tottenham and on other teams on theathletic.com. Thanks very much to James and Charlie for joining us and for producer Tom, and we'll be back again next week. Music.